On this week's Current Account, we're joined by Amaka Anku, who runs all of our Africa coverage at Eurasia Group. Well, thanks so much, Amaka, for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Nigeria, we have a big election uh, scheduled for February 16th. Tell us why this election uh, seems to be so important. So, so the last election cycle in 2015 was the first time that an incumbent lost an election in Nigeria, right? Um, this is the first election where you have a fairly competitive election, but there's not a lot of excitement about the two prospects, about either of the two prospects, right? Which is very different from the last election that was very competitive, last two elections that were very competitive. It's different for Nigeria, um, but it's also, you know, the way we frame it in the top risk is that, you know, it's this poor reform outlook is in part because Nigeria is a little bit of a bad seeds, right? The way we, we frame our, um, our first risk, which is that there are so many bad things that are brewing with a revenue crisis, with population growth. And what we needed in this election was to have somebody who could actually reform or like move the needle one way or the other. But we don't have that. Right, and that's it's it's a big de- it's a big deal that we're flagging that basically Nigeria is going to have to muddle through the next four years, and then there is the smaller risk that um, you could have a disputed election, which would you know probably spook the markets, result in at least one week of uncertainty of you know who is the president, is there a president, what does this mean? But we still we don't think it will sort of destabilize the country, right? But it will be unsettling and on you know create some uncertainty and so that's sort of the second part of our risk you mentioned the 2015 election i remember that really well and there was a lot of hope around it right i remember first there was a positive story that you mentioned as kind of a consolidation of democracy in nigerian institutions right we had a peaceful handoff of power mm-hmm. uh from an incumbent to a challenger through the ballot box that was a big deal right mm-hmm. The other part was around Buhari himself, right? There was a sense that this was a reformer. This was a guy who understood the challenges facing the Nigerian economy, you know, the need to diversify, the need to uh, get a handle on some of the security challenges. And there was a ton of enthusiasm. 2015 wasn't that long ago. What happened? What happened was Buhari won. So as you, as you, <laughs> as you correctly sort of alluded to, so Buhari is a former... Um, general, right, who you ruled the country years ago in a coup, came back as this sort of reformer Democrat who was going to turn the country around. And then nothing happened, really, quite literally. He spent um, several months of his first term outside of the country, hospitalized for three months, you know, seeking medical treatment for several months. Um, And, you know, all of the reform all the hope around reform has basically dissipated, right? Now, that said, there's been some... There's been some positive movements, um, but really all of that hope sort of disappeared in part because you have Buhari who's ill and not a lot of energy, and the opposition is not offering any better alternatives, right? The opposition's candidate is somebody who is as old as Buhari. Buhari is 76, Right, Muhammad Buhari. And the opposition challenger, a guy called Atiku Abubakar, is 72, has been around almost as long as Buhari it's has like the been. the U.S. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, used baby to boomers be, need used to go to be, everywhere. Baby boomers, they just don't want to let go. <laughs> I guess the good part of this election is that I think this is the last stand of this generation, right? We'll like, see. They have to leave after this. Um, be some weekended Bernie stuff going on. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you know the other side has the 72-year-old who was vi- ex-vice president, um, who basically made his money through government patronage, right? And so as disappointed as as people are about lack of reform under Buhari and his health problems and the fact that he doesn't have enough energy to really focus on all the big problems Nigeria has, there's not a lot in Atiku Abubakar's record that shows that he can properly tackle these problems without increasing leakages and increasing corruption and doing other things that more fundamentally damage the country's future. don't know the kind of like okay i watched something online he was supposed to bring i think a pdp stuff he did not even know the exact person to bring he had to like use his hand to take somebody up that okay this is the candidate then they had to like change it and no it's not this person to change him to another person and raise another person's hand you don't even know his own subjects not to talk of the country so he's a no-go area no more please they should just change him maybe someone else maybe someone younger So your view is Buhari is probably going to win, right? That's right. And yes. so that's going to be more of the same. But let's go a little deeper. So what's your outlook, assuming Buhari wins, for economic policy? Is the reform agenda totally dead? Social stability, you know, we're coming out of a contested election. Is that going to be an issue? Uh, and security, right? That's historically been uh, an issue in the Delta region. Does that come back to haunt him? Yeah, so so our overall outlook is really that he models through more of the same, right? So on the militancy and, and, and security, we do expect there to be a higher risk of oil productions, uh, oil disruptions, oil production disruptions under Buhari. And that's because he's not a politician. He hates political bargaining. And the militancy in the Niger Delta is fundamentally transactional. It's all about sort of, you know, creating a threat that the government then responds to by increasing patronage or some, so you know, it's a money. business model. It's, it's very, very transactional, right? And Buhari despises this sort of political bargaining. He doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to engage in it. Um, so there is, a, there is a, a higher risk under him that, that they could, you know, try to get more out of him and he pushes back and then they have to attack something to get him to, to the negotiating table or he'll move so slowly that they have to really prod him along. But, you know, overall, we do think that the, you know, the security in the Northeast will probably stay the same, won't get worse. We're not really, you know, Boko Haram has has turned into sort of a very low-level insurgency where they're kidnapping women and and children, unfortunately, and, you know, using them to... uh, set off suicide bombs and things like that. And that's that kind of war, that's, that sort of tactic is really hard for uh, a police force like Nigeria to, to effectively tackle. So we don't see that really improving sig- significantly. The one thing that will sort of continue on the pace that is not negative, that, that it, the pace that it currently is on, is infrastructure investments. Like the government has spent more money on infrastructure so investments. So that's been a positive story. So that's been a positive story. And that will continue. The commitment to infrastructure is perhaps the most sensible decision 
any government in this country has made immediately after the civil, civil war. And that was really the basis of our initial prosperity after the war, war. Commitment to radical infrastructure, and we stopped. And so as our population grew, the stock of infrastructure became insufficient to support the economy. So 40 minutes journey became 10 hours. Uh, sometimes people slept on the road. So this is a sensible decision to make, not only to ease the cost of doing business, not only to ease the cost of goods and services, but also to make the economy globally competitive and efficient. And so with the rail coming, with new airports being completed, with roads coming, you will see, as we go down the line, uh, competitiveness in pricing and efficiency of services. Manufacturing will pick up, jobs will come, because there will be demand for employment. If factories can move goods uh, four times quicker than they used to. And would that continue under Abu Bakr as well, if he were to win? It, that it, it's more questionable that it would, because the, the, more, the, the potential positive under Abu Bakr, under Atiku, we call him Atiku, is that um, he will be more business friendly, and he will have, he will care, he will sort of be a more, he cares a lot more about what the international community thinks. And so there were several missteps that the Buhari government has taken to make them look like they're not investor friendly would not happen under Atiku. But because he's more likely to use government patronage to benefit his friends, to you know, perpetrate himself in power, to enrich himself and his friends, because he's more likely to do that, there will probably be less money for things like infrastructure investment. So let's kind of take a step back and look at the longer term outlook for Nigeria. You have this huge country, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize how big of a country Nigeria is. It's, you know, natural resource endowments. There is an amazing amount of potential there. Of course, you can be cynical and say that's always been the case. But right when you look at some of the natural endowments that Nigeria has and human capital and these sorts of things, you pointed to the increased investment in infrastructure. Um, that could be a very good story. But the problem has always been the excessive uh, reliance on the oil sector, uh, the sort of traditional resource curse, the inability to diversify. Any reason to think that, whether it's the next government or five governments from now, you know, sort of a five to 10 year view. What do you, you know, what's your outlook for, uh, for the economy and the potential there? So the Nigeria's economy is actually fairly diverse. The problem is that the government needs to, the revenues, its revenues are not diverse at all, right? The revenues are like almost 80%, at least, well, now it's a little bit different, but revenues are primarily dependent on oil, and its exports are almost exclusively dependent on oil. This government, I mean, several governments before it too, but they've been trying to change that by focusing on the agricultural sector and trying to encourage sort of more agricultural exports, things like fertilizers, or even reducing the country's dependence on importing things like rice. None of that is really, is a short-term thing, right? So I do think, you know, maybe 10 years down the line, we get to the point where Nigeria is, you know, actually producing in significant numbers some non-oil exports, right? It's a really long-term 
thing. Um, but the, the government is, is focusing on it. They're trying to invest in sort of more productivity in agricultural sector. So we'll get there eventually. I think the bigger sort of, um, you know, the more urgent problem that the government should be tackling is the revenue crisis, which, which will feed into its ability to really and truly diversify its revenues, is that, you know, Nigeria collects only 5% of its GDP in taxes, um, has very, very little revenues to, fit to, to budget for a country that is 200 million people. And that's where we're, we're, we're not encouraged by the kind of progress we're seeing, right? Like there's just no energy being put, be put behind So there's no it. comprehensive plan. No. So even a place like, uh, you know, a poor example for a number of reasons, but Saudi Arabia, right? Heavily dependent on oil, obviously. They have a plan. It may end up not being a feasible exactly. plan, but they have a plan, exactly. right? And it does help yeah. orient um, global investor interest, yes. financing, uh, et yes. cetera. Yeah. Uh, there's no equivalent of that for, for Nigeria. No, there's no plan. And that's, you know, that's, I, that's one of the things that I would say one of the biggest criticisms of Buhari's administration has been that he poorly communicates even what his government is working on, right? He's very, he's not a good communicator of here is a grand scheme and here's how you can fit into it for an investor. Here's how you can fit into it, local domestic manufacturers. Here's how you can fit into it, you people. There's, there's, there's just no communication at all, even when there's something positive what happening. About, so we were joking earlier about the sort of gerontocracy, right? These kind of baby boomers who will not let go, and that's an issue across countries and a personal pet peeve of mine mm-hmm. as a member of the uh, Gen X, which is sorely underrepresented in, in <laughs> governance across the world. But I'll get off my personal mm-hmm. crusade here. Um, is there a next generation of leadership in Nigeria that you could get excited about? I think so. It's not obvious who they are yet, but it is clear to me, at least, that if Buhari wins a second term next month, that his next, his four years will be the last stand, I think, of his generation. It's different. It's, it will be, that's a harder argument to make if Atiku wins, because if Atiku wins, he will want a second term. And it will be, mm-hmm. um, but I think if Buhari wins, then the next, you know, the, it, we, we will see a, a new political configuration in Nigeria where in order to win sort of as many votes as Buhari got to be able to win, you need to really appeal to the youth. There are a number of people already um, who are thinking in that direction and are trying to create a movement. Um, so we'll see. They have the next four years to put something together. Sentiment, an anti-establishment sentiment currently going on. There's the idea about freeing Lagos. There's the idea that somebody can no longer say when he goes to sleep, Lagos goes to sleep. There's an idea where people are actually questioning the realities of living in Lagos, staying in traffic for four hours, the primary healthcare system, the roads in the wards. Lagos is more than just VI and Etiosa and Ikeja. It's huge. And there are places where there's actually no government presence. I mean, from Ojo to Badagri has pretty much been forgotten by this government. So you find that there are a lot of people that say, you know what, it's time for something different. So last question, back to the election. Uh, you and Eurasia Group actually became part of the story through our top risk report, which you talked about at the top of this, uh, where we identified the election as, as a risk to, to Nigeria and, and to, uh, to frontier markets more generally. What, what happened? How did, how did a 
consulting firms report become a issue in a presidential campaign in a major country? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like in many parts of the world, people like to say that some external, neutral, independent voice said something that can support their side, right? So what we saw was that we saw both sides, the incumbent Buhari and the opposition Atiku, um, found something in our report that was negative about the other side that they tried to use to attack them, right? So initially, when the report came out, both sides came out, both sides probably only saw the negative parts or they were told when they were asked about the report that this report said something negative. So they both reacted immediately to say, no, the other side sponsored that, that report. No, the other side sponsored that report. So I think when they read that article that saw both sides pointing hands at, at the other side, they probably went and read the report and then found negative things to say about the other side. Um, so that was that was fun. That was fun for us. And in fact, the, the opposition's presidential candidate was asked specifically about our report, which had um, suggested that he would spend time enriching himself and his friends. And he said, oh, what's wrong with enriching my friends? <laughs> Which, of course, the ruling side, the incumbent quickly turned around to use against him. See what we said? That he will enrich himself. So it's been fun. <laughs> well, great. Um, this has been fun, too. Thanks so much. Really appreciate your insight. Uh, Thank you. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me.